0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: Hello. Thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start Liberating Dreams one episode at a time. Hey, Liberty listeners, here we are for Can You Believe It? session or episode. 30 of Liberty Sessions. Yeah, shout out. Right now, we've got Elizabeth Wyndham shouting us out in her no voice, only hand gestures. I wish you could see. We got to get video included in this gig here. Um, but we're so excited to bring this um, 30th episode to you as we did in episode 20. Um, We're bringing five, and 10 actually, we're bringing you five questions that um, I'm going to answer for you today. So this is a really short and sweet episode. This time, instead of reaching out via Instagram to get the questions, I reached out to a group of women that I meet with through Mentor Mondays, uh, my clients, and even some questions we are dealing with right here at headquarters, Liberty headquarters. So I hope this is helpful for you guys, and we'd love to hear from you. If you do have questions, just um, email us at info at com or send a question via Instagram, also at Liberty for Her, and we'll answer those in episode 40. Until then, here we go. So here's question number one, and this comes from actually everybody I know. So it's the new Instagram algorithm is killing me and I don't know what to do. My engagement is down and I'm even losing followers. Please help. So this is something that obviously we've all been dealing with. Um, whether people have hundred followers or 200,000 followers, I'm hearing the same complaint and I'm sure those who have well into the hundreds of thousands and million are, are also feeling it. Um, so here's my advice for that That particular issue. Let's just start with social media is not for selling, it's for building a relationship. And you've heard me say this before. I think we need to be mindful of the intention of the platform and use it specifically for that reason. So I just want to remind us one last time, it's not for selling, it's for building relationships. The second thing I want to say is stop worrying about the people who aren't there and start worrying about the people who are there. It's a little like looking at your friend group and complaining that you want new and more friends. Like what a bummer thing to hear. Really figure out how to serve the audience that's showing up for you. They're being loyal, they're coming out in droves. Share something with them, serve them, give something to them. You have something to offer, and they're there because they want to see it and they want to hear it. Don't forget about them. So, speaking of uh, serving and giving your audience, your readers, your um, consumers, I want you to view the platform as a place to serve and give and not expect to convert here. Instead, I want you to think of driving them to another place to convert them. So by example, it would be, again, give, serve. Hey, guys, I've got this tip for you. I want to show you this. I want to tell you about this. It's all about their needs on social media Where it becomes more specifically about your needs is perhaps on email. That's where people have raised their hands and they're jumping and screaming and saying, hey, hey, tell me more. I want more from you. I've signed up. I've subscribed. I'm loyal to you. That's where you want to convert people. So by example, again, you might share uh, in a link um, in the profile, you might link up to an email subscription Uh, space for them or database for them. And if they want to know more, they can. That's exactly in that email. That's exactly where you want to convert them. So leave the social space for social purposes. And then I would also say, don't forget to engage people. Imagine walking into a room with the equivalent of a post. It's a giant, it's like you're holding a poster that would look like one of your posts on Instagram. And you walk into this party and you don't say a word, you just show your post. You just show the picture that you're holding in your hand. How awkward, how annoying, and of course nobody's going to make friends with you. You need to engage. You need to say hello. You need to say, hey, I like what you're what you're wearing, what you're sharing, what you're saying. Um, Oh, I've heard about you before. Oh, I really appreciate this advice that you're offering. Don't forget to use it to be social, to engage people, to encourage people. All you have to do is a little heart shout out and it'll go a million miles. So again, use it to engage people, not just to shout out, here's what I'm doing. And then... Another big tip that I think everybody forgets is email. We really want to go back to using email for what it's for. That's an audience who said, hey, not only do I like you, but I've subscribed to you and I want more from you and I'm loyal to you. So use that email For conversion, for sale. Use that email with the audience that has raised their hand and said, hey, hey, look at me. I want to hear from you. I want to go deeper with you. And when I talked about conversion, that's a great or directing people rather than converting people. Email is a great place to direct people, direct them to email from Instagram and then convert them from email into sales. The last thing I want to say is keep in mind that a lot of businesses were successful before Instagram. You shouldn't be looking to Instagram to build your business. You should be looking to Instagram to build your engagement, to build your um, fan base, to become a fan. It's a way to be social, it's a way to connect to a bigger audience. It's in addition to the business that you've created. If you use it with this in mind, You're going to be pleased with the results. If you use it to build your business, then you are putting all your eggs in a single basket that's completely beholden to the next algorithm change. And that doesn't sound like a recipe for success. So let's move on to number two. Um, This is something that we're dealing with right here at Liberty headquarters. And it's this idea of brand continuity, especially when you have multiple platforms. So, As you all know, we have Liberty Sessions, and then we have our website, which is Liberty for Her, and the name of the company is Liberty. And Liberty for Her was really just, uh uh-oh, how do we deal with our URL? Liberty is already so many different things, so we came up with the, the URL of Liberty for Her. Now... We also have, through the podcast, Liberty Sessions, because that's what we do. We gather with you one session at a time. We talk to women. We interview women. We answer questions like we're doing today. It's a different platform with a different intention. But all these things have to have some continuity in addition to just the name Liberty. So we kind of took a note from Fiona Humberstone's book called um, brand brilliance and we created what she calls a brand a brand blueprint and I should say we are creating a brand blueprint so let me talk about where these wh- where you need to sort of keep all of this in mind it's really where you infuse the brand DNA with some really specific style elements so for example, your website. I think that's a natural place where we all say, okay, this is what the brand looks like. These are the colors we're using. These are the fonts we're using. But don't forget that those elements that you've put into place also need to exist in your collateral. Again, collateral. By collateral, I mean all of the paper products that are being used within the company, a brochure, a magazine, a catalog, a business card, a sign, all of the things that you've Created to compose what is the website, those elements, those style elements, need to also be used in your paper collateral. You also need to consider this in your copy. What's the tone? What's the voice of the brand? And how do you ensure that that voice is in the newsletter and is in the emails and is in the copy for Instagram or Facebook? Just the dialogue you have with your consumer. Sometimes, and in our case, this is the case. You have one person who's writing a lot of that and engaging, but as we grow, that's going to change. And so we need need to sort of build in, okay, what is the voice? Is it a snarky voice? Is it a voice of authority? Is it funny? Um, If humor is at its core and multiple people are writing this, then what is the type of humor and what are the words that we continue to use that sort of string um, all of these different platforms together? Uh, I would also say in video and events, what are you doing aside from again, fonts and colors, but what are the images that you're uh, using in video? If you tend to have muted tones, make sure those muted tones are reflected in your video. You don't want something that's starkly different because there's no brand consistency and the consumer might not know you're the same company. And I would say at live events, if you're really modern and contemporary in your visuals, perhaps having a long farm table with mason jars um, filled with crafted cocktails is not the way you should go. So really think about how you're being um, consistent, even in those live opportunities. And then the obvious, I think, is photos, Instagram, and all your social media. Make sure that the white space, the lighting, the filters, all of these things convey the same message. Um, And again, remember that the goal is that the, the consumer, the client, your audience can at a glance identify you without a logo, without you having to say, this is liberty. But they can look at it and say, this looks like liberty. This smells like liberty. This tastes like liberty. Really take into consideration all the senses and the way they're experiencing you. Okay. Question number three. Along the lines of multiple platforms, I actually have a client who's an interior designer and she is pushing out some different platforms. That's kind of her next, you know, next quarter goals. Um, The question we're currently looking at is... Which platform should we roll out out next? Do we look at kind of what's low-hanging fruit, something that we can easily roll out and we know that her customer base will gravitate toward? Or should we be looking at the thing that's going to provide the most revenue opportunity for her? So to use an example, I'm going to kind of back away from my clients because that's not cool. Um, And I don't want to get in trouble for saying anything, but I'll use my uh, consulting business as an example So when I first uh, finished my book, and so in 2008, I come out with a book, we'll call that Platform One, and I needed to use that opportunity for whatever was next. And so what I did was I took any speaking engagement I could take, I spoke at conferences, on panels, I led seminars, anything that I could do to get in front of people and really establish myself As an expert, Um, not exactly a profitable endeavor, but one that was low-hanging fruit and I knew would support platform number three. So again, platform number one was the book, platform number two was speaking, and then platform number three, workshops. How do I create something that I'm going to convert all those people who are coming to my events or the events that somebody else had where I might be on a panel or speaking, and convert them into somebody who is paying me money for more expertise. So I created these workshops. Now people had a place to come, write a check, learn a little bit more from me, and to continue to grow and to continue to further who I was as an expert and as a brand. Okay. Now platform number four. Now I want to build that audience base. So in 2011, I said, okay, I have these people who've been coming around. They've been taking workshops. They're listening to me speak. um, But I got to do something that's even bigger in terms of converting people, in terms of creating an offering. So I launched a conference. So again, this is uh, platform number four. You launch a large-scale conference. You're serving the same audience, just in bigger numbers. And now I'm able to assign um, a larger ticket price to that, and I'm I'm able to bring in even more revenue. Now from that, there are a lot of people who then wanted to work one-on-one. They didn't necessarily, even though I continued the workshops, they didn't necessarily want to work amongst 10 other people. They wanted to work privately on their business, or they were... Maybe three, four, five years into business, they didn't want general advice. They wanted more um, specific advice, something that we, where we could specialize and curate the content um, a little bit more. So, I created the consulting firm that I have today. So, eventually, I was able to offer this, this these one-on-one um, consultations. So, here we are. We've got these five platforms. I started with low-hanging fruit. I went to where I could then make money from that. I went to where I could scale the amount of money I was making and serve a larger audience. I went then from that to serving a specialized audience. So that's one way of looking at how you roll out a platform or various platforms over a period of time. And I should say that we're looking at something that happened over the span of, let's see, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, seven years. Um... And so it takes a little bit of time to to do that. Uh, And I could have expedited that time. Um, I could have offered two of those platforms at the same time. I absolutely could have been doing the workshops, the one-on-one, and the conference all at the same time uh, had I chosen to. So that's something you can definitely do, roll out multiple platforms at the same time as long as it's consistently serving a similar audience and not sort of um, leaving you, uh, with sort of these multiple fractured uh, offerings. Okay. Question number four. I've been a solopreneur for the last four years and have just started hiring a team to support various parts of my business. I'm finding that getting everyone to communicate when they're all remote has become an issue. Instead of hiring a team that works together, I've hired four individuals that all turn to me with questions or need. In the end, I've created more work for myself. So, this came from a gal who was at um, our Mentor Monday events. If you're here in Los Angeles, that's every other, uh, the second Monday of every month at Wheelhouse, the Wheelhouse um, Coffee and Bike Shop in DTLA. Come join us. Little shout out. Um, so. Let's talk about what um, this solopreneur-gone kind of boss, you know, what she could have done or what will do um, now that she's sort of identified the problem. One thing is to create job descriptions that include where their job begins and ends and who they communicate to when they need certain things answered or they have certain concerns. Is that, does this warrant coming to you, the boss, Or does this this question um, need to be answered by a teammate, a team member? The other thing is to create a way for everyone to communicate in a systematic way. This is something we're trying to get right here um, at Liberty. So one that allows for conversations to be filed by subject, for dialogue to continue with easy referencing, and for task-building capacity. So basically... Maybe the issue is um, you're marketing for an event that's coming up. So everybody that needs to be a part of that conversation is a part of it. All of their names are assigned to that conversation. And then... The dialogue can continue. This is not an email. This is something that you're doing in some other format. So for us, it would be Asana. That's what we're using. And it builds on each other. You're not searching through your email, looking for the last thing um, that somebody said, and then, oh, there was another conversation that was left out. Everything is kept in this one chain. And then something that has this task building capacity. So let's say there are 10 tasks that need to be done. Each one is assigned to whomever it is that's on, or uh, that's a part of that team for that specific um, task. And then you want to, as the CEO, as the um, as the director, manager, whatever you call yourself, you want to get everyone on a call on a regular basis. Let's say a Monday a.m. check-in. This brings the team together. You talk about the short-term goals. By short-term, I mean the week's goals, day-by-day tasks that need to be accomplished and who's going to accomplish them. Everything is assigned. Um, and there are clear responsibilities that are assigned by you. And you talk about who's going to work together to accomplish those things. The other thing I would say is use those meetings as an opportunity to re- reinforce the longer term things. Hey, guys, this is awesome. This is what we're all about. This is what we're doing. This is where we want to be by the end of the quarter. And really, it's an opportunity for the CEO to share the culture Uh, or or form the culture, I think is the better way to say that. I I just recently read an article in Fast Company that identified that the C in CEO stands for culture. Um, So it's really a way for, for you to make sure that they understand the core values, make sure they understand the mission of the company. And I don't mean to recite it in every meeting. I mean just to infuse it with a sentence or two and really pull everybody together. And also remember that this is a big shift for you. You've gone from being a solopreneur for so long, and it's new. It takes a minute to adjust, but it's time to wear that title with pride and authority. People are counting on you. People in in your industry, excuse me, in your business and your audience, they're counting on you to run the business. That's your job. Okay. Question number five. So on a recent call with a nonprofit, this actually just happened yesterday, the founder asked me about the need for an advisory board versus a focus group. So I asked her to articulate what it was she wanted out of these um, two particular groups of people and why she might even be using them synonymously. Um, she said her organization had reached a plateau, all was going well. Um, they were accomplishing what they were tasked to accomplish, but she knew it was time to take the status quo and sort of shake it up. So in an attempt to figure out what she needed, we sort of talked about how gathering the information would help inform the next steps or the the next offering for this organization. So, She said, when we talked about focus groups, she said, I think I should create a focus group to help identify what people want. Um, But then again, maybe I should put an advisory board together and they can tell me, they can give me some ideas or help generate some ideas. So I said, let's first define those two groups um, that I think are wildly different in in two very specific ways. So create the focus group um, based on, what people want from the organization and how they've experienced it. So no one should be a part of the focus group that doesn't know something about the organization or hasn't been informed in some way about the organization. The advisory group is there to internally help and generate new ideas for the organization. Um, So again, let's sort of use an example here. So if the focus group is intended to gather information from those who have experienced the organization, then let's look at somebody who would create an app. Maybe you are an app creator. So you would bring this focus group together to use the app and then to give feedback. Would you use it again? How can it be better? Is it um helping you in the area that it's supposed to help you? Does it compare to the competition? Is it better or worse than the competition? Are there other bells and whistles we might want to include? Now, use the same example of the app and look at the advisory board. The advisory board isn't necessarily made up of people who've experienced the app, although I recommend that. Instead, these people are bringing an expertise to the app company. They're informing the next steps based on their experience. So you might be seeking people that can offer you advice about the app from a professional point of view. You might be experiencing people that can make connections as to those who would use the app from a B2B point of view. Oh, you might want to sell this app to so-and-so. Or you might want to get sponsors for this app on so-and-so, or maybe even people who have money who can invest in you building and growing your app company. So those are two completely different groups who serve two completely different um, purposes. And they're not, they can absolutely be utilized. And I encouraged her to utilize both of them, not to see them as synonymous, but two distinct groups. So now I'm going to do something I normally don't do at the end of our podcast, and that's to ask all of you listeners to rate and review us. Go on to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, whatever you've got, and tell us what you think. Share your thoughts. Um, we want to hear from you. We want to know what you need from us. If you can't do it on those platforms or it's um, you know, you just have an immediate question, you can always just Instagram us your question. We're happy to take it for our episode 40 and build it into that episode. If we don't know the answer, we'll be sure to find it for you. Or if you're the emailing type, email us at info at com, and we'll be sure to answer those questions. Until next week, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Wyndham and music by Jordan Flower.